podcasts do by Drasna. Rating mature. No archive warnings apply. Category female male. Relationship Dean Winchester you. Dean Winchester original female character. Characters include Dean Winchester and Sam Winchester. Additional tags. Fluff. Flirting. Explicit language. Smut. Angst. POV first person. Librarians. Friends to lovers. Men of letters bunker. Lebanon, Kansas. Third chance at love. POV female character. Protective Dean Winchester. Hunter Dean Winchester. Bookworm Sam Winchester. The Winchesters are on a case. The boys deserved a better ending. Summary. Dean Winchester has an effect on an older woman he's known for years. Kansas, Men of Letters bunker setting. Set around season 15 with some canon divergent plotting. Notes. I've been scratching at this idea and thought I'd give it a go. Since I am in real life older than Dean by a handful of years, I thought I'd explore. We'll see how it goes. I'm also playing with first-person POV for the first time in a long time. I haven't written in this POV for a good 20 years, so I may revert back and forth from time to time. This may need a couple edits as I go. I'm also messing around with tenses on purpose, so it may feel more scatterbrained than normal. Chapter 1 Am I being checked out while checking him out? I scan the barcode on the back cover. His eyes are trained on my face with a little more interest than usual. Do I have some spinach between my teeth from the salad I had for lunch? God, why does he have to do that thing with his tongue? I readjust the glasses on the bridge of my nose and make some quiet small talk with the gorgeousness in front of me. I do most of the talking, and he does most of the nodding. No, Dean Winchester is not checking me out. He's just existing and breathing and short-circuiting my brain, as he tends to do on occasion with his proximity. I will not fuss with my hair like I always do when he's close enough for me to smell him. Oh, God damn it! I feel like a 16-year-old around this man. Every damn time. It's not fair. It happened the first time I met him six years ago. He'd handed over the paperwork, and I processed his library card application. He smiled that lopsided grin that says, You poor, unsuspecting creature. I am so handsome. I don't even have to make much of an effort. That was the day he and his mountain man of a brother, Sam, walked into the Smith Center Library, back when they had used Campbell as their last names on the application, and before they had helped with a haunting that blew their aliases. At least with me. It was a job for them that involved my brother five towns over. The house he had bought for a song at a sheriff's sale, turned out, came with a supernatural squatter. No shit it was cheap, because someone was murdered in it. No offense, but your brother was pretty much asking for trouble knowing that going in. I still remember Dean's very accurate logic when they'd gotten the full history. I shouldn't feel like a 16-year-old when I'm 46, speeding towards 47 in a couple months, with a man five years my junior. Even if it is Dean Winchester. He reminds me of my second husband, Lou. Full of sass, rounded out with some grump, and a sprinkle of edge. He drinks like Lou did. 
I only know that because I'd bought Dean and Sam a round of drinks one night a few years back. It was a thank you after they'd burned the remains of the poor soul that was stuck in what they called a death echo in my younger brother's house. Top shelf scotch is Dean's preferred drink of choice when someone else is buying, by the way. And he has a high tolerance for alcohol that one only gets after decades of experience. Like my second husband, Lou. He drives a vintage muscle car like Lou did, too. You can hear it ten seconds before it turns onto West Court Street and pulls up to park in front of the library. That engine sound always gets my fellow co-workers on high alert and wide-eyed, just like me. It's a disappointment to all of us when it's not Dean. He flirts with every female between the ages of 18 and 80 that crosses his path. Again, like Lou. It's his default setting. He seems to prefer a tight skirt from what I've gathered through my research, but he rarely slights and denies the opposite sex his charms or thorough assessment if they decide to don pants or shorts. My brain finally registers the title of the book he's checked out on the computer screen. The attraction fog has lifted for a brief second. I turn the tome over on the counter and read the title aloud. Fairies and wood nymphs? Do I want to ask? He shakes his head. I twist my fingers near my mouth to indicate my lips are sealed. Then he flashed me that weird look again. Almost like he's processing some data. Maybe it's because he hasn't been in here for over a month and I'm paying every flinch and twist even more attention than usual. I realize in real time I'm cataloging all of these in case I don't see him for another month. Or, God forbid, two months. You really are, aren't you, Winner? He finally pipes up with a question using my surname as usual. The smile returns to his face. What's that, Mr. Campbell? I respond with a way too giddy smile and slide the book back to him. My co-workers are probably snickering at me behind the periodicals as they watch the show. Sure, like they wouldn't be putty in this man's hands either. Even Ronald turns into mush around Dean. He bends and leans back a bit to rest those thick forearms on the counter. Plaid clad shoulders, green eyes, freckled skin, and pouty lips are now at eye level with my five foot four frame. Good at keeping a secret, he mumbles and lowers his voice more with every syllable. That voice triggers the floodgates down below. The hell is going on right now? Friends don't call me the vault for nothing. I somehow get the sentence out. Being this close reminds me of the night at the bar, when the scotch had worked its magic at the Mexican restaurant. The neon green cactus aesthetic and terracotta motif had lulled Dean into some sort of serape security blanket. He divulged a lot after Sam, downing only one drink, had left in the Impala with the promise to pick up his brother in a couple of hours. By the end of the night, Dean said I was a good listener and not quick to judge that I had a nice calming presence, that I'd must have seen some heavy shit in my lifetime, too. Can I ask you something? His brows raise. My mouth has dried up so I can only nod in response. He cocks his head to the library entrance. Do you have a minute to talk outside? I nod again. I may not be the boss, but my seniority and elder status gives me a little leeway. He rises up, taps the counter, and grabs the book. 
I'll be waiting in the car. I get a full smile this time and almost pass out. I push the front door of the library and spill out on the sidewalk a couple minutes later. His black beauty of a car is still there, waiting. The nippy fall temperature is enough for me to wrap my cardigan tight around my middle. Dean is in the driver's seat, windows open, with Leonard Skinnerd playing on the radio. He has an eager and appreciative look on his face when he exits the vehicle and walks toward the hood to meet me. Thanks. I shrug. What did you want to ask me? I wrap some stray, windswept strands back behind my ear. Sam and I, we could use some help at the bunker. I can't help but gasp at the word. Bunker. This legendary place I've gotten sparse verbal descriptions of here and there over the years. Their home base. Sam has boasted of its library to me. Well, mainly Sam could use some help, because I'm useless when it comes to the library, and he also doesn't trust me when it comes to the books. Library. I'm about to stifle another gasp. I stand in silence, waiting for more. He sighs. Let's just say we had an accident. A lot of the books got damaged, flew off shelves into a massive paper mountain. My head nods in a fury. Yes, I'd, I'd love to help. He chuckles at my eagerness. Great. He hands me a note, like we're in high school. Meet me at this intersection, and I'll show you the rest of the way there. When? Whatever's good for you. I realize how non-existent my social life is lately and offer... Friday night? He nods. Another grin. Eight? Sounds good to me. It's a date. He winks. Lou never winked. Chapter 2 I left my cottage in Smith Center that Friday after the sun had set. It was a 20-minute drive before I came upon Dean at the crossroads, waiting for me with a grin and a goal, when my headlight spotted him. I followed Dean's Impala in my Wrangler down the long, winding prairie road, eventually overtaken by trees for another 10 minutes. The radio kept me company in the dark, the wooded area closed in on each side as I drove behind the impala's wake. A clearing amid the trees to the right gets my attention. I peer up and gasp, breaking in time to avoid a mild fender bender after Dean's abrupt stop. The bunker looks like a massive detention center or secret government facility built into a rather large hill. It's intimidating in its gray, drab, and impenetrable appearance. Illumination from the moon and stars in the Kansas sky provide a perfect backdrop. I can see the outline of the sharp roof-lined structure high above the tree canopies. What the hell am I getting into? These brothers have provided the occasional glimpse into their lives with the weird research requests over the past few years. I should feel scared or worried, but the quick pace of my heartbeat has more to do with the excitement of peeking at what's behind the curtain and finally seeing the place Sam and Dean Winchester call home in Lebanon, Kansas. The squeak of Dean's driver's side door as it opens, and he plants boots on the gravel, makes the blood pound in my ears. He eases, almost pours out. The door cinches shut with a creak. 
My headlights spotlight him again. He strolls over on those bow legs. I kill the engine. He leans against my open window, staring down, a hand and forearm reclining on the rooftop. Still okay with this winter? I smile. He's such a perfect mix of rugged and that kind of handsome they don't make anymore. He reminds me of Paul Newman, Robert Redford, John Wayne, or Clint Eastwood in their heyday. But then he'll shine some cheekiness that gives me the vibe of a Frank Sinatra or Dean Martin hosting a variety hour from the 60s. I stare at those lips a little longer than I should. Again. Yep, this is already the most eventful Friday night I've had in forever. He taps the roof. All right, then. The temperature has dropped, and I'm glad I wore a heavy jacket. The gravel crunches underfoot, and Dean has enough courtesy and manners to lead the way in the dark with a flashlight. Got a few concrete steps here. Careful on the way down. I chuckle. So nice of you to look out for your elder. He waves the flashlight in my direction, but low to my chest so it's not directly in my eyes. You do that a lot, you know. I stop in my tracks. What? Point out that you're older than me? Do I? Mm-hmm. The flashlight rotates back around in his hand so we can continue the trek. He waits until we are both at the threshold of a large door. It looks like a bank vault. The click of a key in a lock is heard when he adds, Why do you do that? I shrug in the shadows. The door gives to Dean's pull and sounds like he's breaking some type of hermetic seal. In moments, we are atop a stairwell. The door slams behind us and makes me jump. My eyes widen at the view below, something out of a 40s war room. Dean's already halfway down the iron staircase before my feet are able to move. I track and inventory the vintage communication devices, the Art Deco architecture, the solid build of this secret place with brick and stone and marble. A huge table in the middle of the room has a world map lit up from below as its surface. Dean drops his backpack on the table without a second glance. Sam! He yells. He walks to a large open entryway into another room with a step up. I glimpse the row of tables and shelves. And the books. The books scattered everywhere. The smell of leather and musky paper fills the air. I inhale deep and get that little whiff of smoke and vanilla that I love. I'd invite you to make yourself at home, but that's not really possible at the moment. He motions for me to follow. Dean shucks off his jacket and hangs it on the back of one of the chairs. I'm attracted to a nook in the beautiful hall, filled with clutter. I drape my jacket on a wing-backed chair and pick up a hard-bound book on one of the stacks. There are dozens of these book pillars piled in various heights, some reaching to my shoulders. Where the hell is he? Dean asks no one in particular. I notice a samurai sword on display to my left when Sam's free-floating voice calls out, be there in a minute, Dean. Dean sighs and slinks through the maze of books. He lands on my right and stares down at me. Are you hungry? We've got to stock the kitchen for once. Sandwich? Snack? Beer? I shake my head, too busy splitting my gaze between his expectant green eyes and the volume in my hands. Is this an actual first edition of Grimm's Fairy Tales? Dean opens his mouth, but Sam answers, peeking over the samurai sword on the bookshelf. Yep, from 1909. Thanks for coming to help out. 
He smiles. This is... How? I'm speechless. Well, I'm hungry, Dean pipes in. I'll be back in a bit. He darts and bounds up another small set of stairs leading out of the library. Remember, Sam begins. Dean halts in the other doorway. I'm not bringing any food in here. I got it, Sam. Nothing that might mess up your precious. You're worse than that goblin thing in Lord of the Rings. Golem was a hobbit, I correct him. Store hobbit, actually. Sam nods in agreement. Dean purses his lips and raises both hands, then slams them in mock defeat against his thighs. Thanks for clarifying. Looks like we found the best person to help. He shakes his head and gives me a tiny smile before disappearing. My heartbeat skips at that smile. Sam and I spend a good 15 minutes deciding on a strategy to divide and conquer. He's as giddy as I am to get things back in their proper spots. The Dewey Decimal System makes the overwhelming task a bit easier. He really only needed another pair of hands and a bookish mindset. I'll take one side of the library, Sam the other. He's pulled out a pencil sketch of the shelves and their categories as best as he can recollect. Dean got this glazed look when I asked him to help organize after we got them piled up and out of the middle of the room. I thumbed through the index cards in the catalog to get my bearings and hoped to find homes for a couple books to start. Anything that doesn't go on my side that I come across, I'll leave for Sam on the table closest to the war room. He'll place anything for me on the other table. An actual explosion? Sam nods. It was like an earthquake, shook everything, and then there were the... He clamps his lips tight and runs his fingers through his long hair. Too much information for your first night. I want you to come back and help. I narrow my eyes. I was already crazy enough to come. It would have to be pretty terrifying for me not to return. He shrugs and only repeats, I want you to come back. We talk. He's hesitant to indulge me with certain facts, but when I ask if Dean has any culinary skills to speak of, he's almost an open book. Burgers and charring meat appear to be Dean's specialty. I smile, feeling the tap and tug of my heart, thinking about how good my first husband, Rick, was with a grill and a smoker. I ask about Jack. Sam tells me that he's staying with Cass for a while. One afternoon, a couple years back, Dean and I stood huddled by a monitor in the technology area. He was dressed in a sharp blue suit and wore a cologne that filled my nose with citrus and cedar. To this day, I'm not sure how I managed to remain upright. He was in need of some topographic maps of Lebanon. I didn't ask why, and he seemed grateful. I asked about Jack, since he was fresh in my mind from a recent visit. Dean steeled his jaw before confessing he and Sam were having difficulty with their new charge. I learned they had saved Jack from a dangerous situation. I assumed it was something supernatural. His mom had passed when he was born, and their friend, Cass, had taken the boy under his wing not long after that. Now that friend was in need of more assistance with Jack. There was more to the story, but I didn't press. I knew why he mentioned Jack's mom. He knew about my first husband. It had been one of my confessions over those drinks years back. Rick had been my high school sweetheart. We'd married halfway through university at KWU in Salina. 
I got my bachelor's. Rick had turned his volunteer firefighter position into a career, dropped out after two years at university, and kept telling me he was going to go back to school after. After was Rick's favorite word. We moved back to Smith Center after school. I got a job at the library soon after that. Our son Ricky came along a year later. Rick had promised a five-year-old Ricky at the dinner table they would go to the neighbor's farm over the weekend. He'd get his first pony ride after his 24-hour shift at the firehouse. Rick never came home after that shift. Chapter 3 I shake myself from the memory. I'm not sure how long it is before I turn around to grab from a new stack and find Dean standing right there. My nose brushes against his shirt. I avoid slamming the rest of me into him. I smell the fresh, clean, showered scent of him. He's sporting loungewear like a male supermodel. The spiky, damp hair is doing weird things to my insides. I want to run my fingers through them like I'm sprinting through a field of wheat. And then I want to tug on those strands while he... Is Sam taking advantage of you? He smirks, chin to his chest, looking down at me. Free labor and all. Sure you aren't hungry? No, I'm good, thanks. Getting in the zone. He nods into his chest. Well, if you plan on it being an all-nighter, we've got plenty of space for you to crash. Dean... Sam side-eyes and scolds him with a slight shake of his head. I realize how curious I am to explore more of this amazing place. I also realize how much being this close to Dean makes me wish he'd never be more than an arm's length away. See? Sixteen-year-old. My twenty-three-year-old son would be mortified at his mother's behavior right now. Thank God he's on his own and away at school, working on his master's in library science. He would love this book collection, though. I could use directions to the bathroom. Dean smiles. Sure. Follow me. I nod to Sam. He gives me a hesitant smile. Dean leads out the library in slippers that remind me of something my father would wear. I stare at the heels of his bare feet peeking out from the slippers when he steps up. For a second, I get an image of the two of us on the couch watching television his long and solid frame spread out across all the cushions. I'm seated at one end with his calves propped up on my lap, massaging his tired and sore feet. Coming, Winner? Dean's voice calls out. He's turned to wait, a quizzical stare at me. Shit, how long have I been daydreaming? I join him. He's along my left down the marble and stone corridors, they contain a plethora of doors and intersections that turn my sense of direction on its head. The halls feel cold, antiseptic, even though the design and style is meticulous and elegant. Dean rubs the back of his neck. You probably have a dozen more questions now. Try a hundred. It's just the two of you in this huge place? Well, sometimes, Jack and Cass. Do you have a cleaning service come in or something? I run a finger along the marble wall as I pass. I tilt my head in approval at the lack of dirt. He chuckles. We've got a really great filtration system. Just have the usual upkeep with the common areas and our rooms. I need to get me one of those. Or live in a secret lair with no windows. 
Hmm, that's true. You don't have any. You really could not know what's going on outside while you're in here. It's a hermit's fantasy. Like that hobbit. He grins and stops at a door. It's the bathroom slash showers. Don't get lost in there. Or on your way back. Make a right out the door. Left at the dead end. He points down the hall with two fingers like a cop directing traffic. Pass two cross streets, then make a right onto the next one. You'll see the library entrance on your left, eventually. I frown. If I get lost, just call me winner. My flats shuffle down the hall. I make my way back to the library and feel like I'm at work. I shift into my quiet and unobtrusive mode unseen unless needed or called upon. Dean's instructions were clear and easy to follow. The slight panic at being in an unknown maze subsides when I hear their voices. I turn down the hall. The warm amber light from the library spills into the corridor yards away. Their voices travel toward me. The acoustics are quite good in this place. I can tell they are trying to keep their voices low. You should ease up. Sam sounds irritated. What? Not every woman needs to be a conquest, Dean. Shut it. I I don't think about winter like Dean stutters. I'd never think of her as a conquest. And that. That's what makes my heart drop into my stomach. Of course he doesn't think of me that way. Sam sighs. I can really use her help. And she's always been nothing but nice to us. Dean sighs back. I know that. I take a deep breath, beat myself over the head with reality, cough for good measure so they know I'm coming. When I turn the corner, Sam is busy in his section and Dean is between the tables, wringing his hands and smiling at me. He's been sweet because why? Felt bad for me? Placating me maybe? He just knows he's got that effect on women? Great at direction, Sam. Told ya. Dean claps his hands. I've been told enough space has been cleared and that snacks may be brought in. He raises a finger in the air for emphasis. I'll be back. A quick turn and dash around the corner of a table has him disappearing through the war room. When I step in to assume my spot, I catch his figure heading through a doorway by the stairwell entrance. I resume the work, quiet and unobtrusive. Everything all right? Sam notices the change. Yep. I flash a smile full of teeth. This is an amazing collection. I pretend to rifle through the pages of one book with interest before placing it on a shelf. Did Dean say something to make you uncomfortable? Sam strolls closer and leans on the table to sit. I think it's an attempt to shorten our height differential. He can get a little carried away. I fidget with the frames of my glasses. No, I'm used to it. He's like that with every woman, right? I grab two books and study the spines. Sam shrugs. Kind of. From my peripheral view, I can see him lean down farther and try to make eye contact. Or get a read on me. I mean, it's not like you'd be interested, right? This weird sound comes out of my mouth that resembles a laugh being choked out of my windpipe. When I look up, Sam has a deer-in-the-headlights expression. The wrinkles on his forehead have multiplied. He chuckles and blinks. Right. 
fingers tap on the table surface, and he's back to work on his side. I spend another hour and a half with the brothers in the library. Dean brought a variety of things to munch on. My heart feels a little heavy at my assumption about his interest. The fantasy couldn't last forever in my head, but I try to enjoy Sam and Dean's company and take everything at face value. They are nice guys, after all. I'm sure there wasn't any intentional misleading on the part of my emotions. I crunch my last carrot stick and slide another book home. All right, gentlemen, I do know how to party it up on a Friday night, but it's close to 10.30. I should get myself home. Dean squints. If it's too late for a drive back, I raise a hand in protest. They haven't taken my driver's license away from me yet due to old age. I'll be fine. Dean's half-hearted smile disappears. He stuffs a few potato chips in his mouth as he gets up. Let me put on some shoes. Before, he lifts both hands up. Want to make sure you get home safe. I'll follow you back. My mouth opens. There's a thrill that I'm quick to squash down. I might not want you to know where I live, I interject without thinking. His eyes widen and then he smiles. It's cute that you think we don't already know where you live. My head whips to Sam. He shrugs. Part of the job. We vet everyone who gets led into our little circle of chaos. Be right back. Dean confirms there's no way I'm getting out of an escort home. Sam is ever so grateful for the assistance tonight. He wraps me up in a huge friendly hug that's warm and comforting. He thinks he can manage the rest of it on his own but he offers to have me come back soon, inspect, and approve what he's done. The library is always open for me to visit in case I want to do some actual reading. Dean returns a few minutes later, fully dressed again. The man is quick and ready for action at a moment's notice. Could have been a firefighter. I'm quiet on the way out. I follow him down to our cars. He provides the lead and lights my way to the Wrangler. He clicks the driver's side door closed once I'm in and suggests a three-point turn to head back the road we came in on. He offers to lead in the Impala. I decline, sure in my navigational skills. I keep checking my rearview mirror on the drive back. I see the silhouette of the assured, confident Winchester. I'm positive that man has broken many hearts, but probably provided some amazing memories for some lucky women. I'm also positive he'd be a hard act to follow for anyone that came after him. I'm not sure I could handle either of those scenarios at this point. And how lucky could one woman get anyway in a lifetime? I think back to Rick and the memories that have a grainy film overlay to them now. How special those years were. How misguided and unfair I was to Lou, constantly comparing him to the man I lost. Knowing that my expectations and a multitude of sins on his part led to our divorce five years back. It's better like this, to admire Dean Winchester from afar with the occasional heart palpitations. I pull into my short drive. I'm self-conscious about the loud rumble of the Impala's engine as Dean rolls past me to stop in front of my house. My neighbors are scattered here and there along the prairie road. No one is on top of each other, but it's usually quiet this time of night. Jody or Harry will be peeking because of the noise, a second later, my prediction is confirmed. I stare off to the right through my passenger window to see a light snap on in the Wilson's kitchen window. I hop out of the Wrangler, 
ready to walk over to Dean's driver's side and thank him for seeing me home. Dean cuts off the engine and emerges with an energetic self-propulsion. I stall in my tracks. Even in the dark, I blush at those eyes that I know are trained on me. God damn it. Thanks, I squeak out and clear my throat. No problem. Wanted to make sure you got home safe. I hear his hands slide into his jean pockets. He's closer now. My eyes have adjusted to the dark. His tongue peeks out and brushes that full bottom lip. It glistens in the moonlight. He cocks his head to my porch. All right, if I watch you get inside? He raises a hand. Not me being stalky, just cautious. I narrow my eyes. Do you have a target on your back or something? A shiver runs down my spine. I'm not sure if it's due to fear or standing for too long in the chilly October night. He grins. Not at the moment. My mouth opens up at the cavalier response. He turns serious, maybe because of the look I gave him. We didn't want to tell you. Didn't want to worry you. That's a great way to start things off. I frown and cross my arms. You should get inside, Winter. Getting cold. You can't do that to me. Leave me hanging like that. I hear a familiar screen door screech open on hinges that need greasing. He sighs and nods past my shoulder to something behind me. I don't want to explain out here. We've got an audience. I turn around, past my jeep in the drive, to see Harry in his sweatpants and a t-shirt. He's leaning against a pillar under the floodlight of his porch. A sharp nod in my direction. Jody's voice travels in the night air, asking her husband what's going on over at my house. I sigh and give the neighbor a wave. Well, we've given them something to talk about, I mumble. Might as well come inside for a minute so I get all the facts. 